You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy special episode. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 407 and the Sheraton Syracuse University Hotel. Today's show was recorded on March 5th, 2020. today's episode, we talk with one of the first APG crew members who's been on sabbatical for almost four years. We do cover a couple of news items, but mostly just get caught up with his life since he was last year. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in your upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Our APG special flight is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Syracuse, um, the Sheraton uh, Syracuse, uh, right across from Syracuse University. It's an aviation podcast where we cover the week's uh, aviation news and answer your feedback. Well, that's what we normally do. But tonight, on this special episode, we're not going to do any of that. We're instead going to talk to somebody that we haven't seen around this neighborhood in a while, and his name is Captain Rick, or many of you know him by his 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 moniker, Miami Rick. So welcome, Miami Rick. Hello, everybody. <laughs> now, so I, I usually have like a little spiel about like, you know, um, with Steph, you know, she's a marathon runner and a skydiver and all kinds of crazy things. Um, so I guess I would say he is a an international... Uh, freight um, cargo pilot or whatever, um, but uh, you're now you have some great news. You're uh, in training right now to upgrade to captain at uh, Acme Giant. Exactly right, exactly right. Welcome. I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm happy to see so many familiar faces and feel like not a day, uh, not a day, uh, not a day passed. And uh, yes, uh, Captain Jeff, thank you. Uh, I am, in fact, in uh, training right now, uh, appropriately in Miami. And uh, uh, up until uh, with uh, two, three weeks, well, actually a month ago, I was a uh, mostly freight pilot on the 747, uh, flying around the world, uh, not only freight, but uh, passengers, uh, our troops uh, to and from the Middle East. And the famous uh, Dreamlifter carrying parts of the of the uh, seven eight seven from uh, factories in Japan and Italy to the factories in the states in Seattle, Kansas, and uh, in the Carolinas. Um, and yes, I am in training now to uh, fly the seven sixty seven, which I already flew once. Uh, it was my first love. We're talking almost twenty years ago, but uh, wow, you never really? Forget. Oh yeah, you never forget it. Well, so so it. so uh, to. Um... Refresh everybody's memory about that. You know the the people that 
know you and have seen you in the past on the show and also to kind of bring everybody up to speed that, you know, cause you haven't been on the show like in 257 episodes or so. Well, <laughs> no, wait, I take that back. That was, that was from today's episode to your first, first show as a co-host. So that's actually not correct. I didn't do the math right, but anyway, it's been a few years, probably almost four years, I think, since you were last on uh, the show. And I, be- uh, I believe so. Yeah. So, um, so you, you, uh, your airline career started off at a very early age for you. I mean, were you like 23 years old when you were a captain for a, yeah. on the seven, six, seven, 27. Oh, seven, 27. Okay. I, I, I was 27 years old when that happened. Actually, okay. I got, I, I got on, I got on with, uh, with, um, Acme South America back in 2000 and, uh, oh man, what was that? 2003. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it's a, it's an interesting kind of story really, because I went to, I went to flight school um right as 9-11 was going on and that was a uh a no my timing wasn't exactly wasn't exactly the greatest because of that uh we all know what happened to the aviation industry after after 9-11 mm-hmm. uh a lot of pilots got furloughed uh airlines shrunk a lot of people were out of work and newly minted pilots really had no you know no prospects no opportunities to uh getting into the flying career and so uh I flight instructed for a little while to uh, build a little bit of time, and then I uh, l- I was lucky enough to uh, get a, a small job flying single-engine airplanes around doing aircraft deliveries, and then finally flying a uh, 206 uh, Cessna around the Bahamas and Miami for a little while. And, uh, but, you know, that wasn't going to make it. That wasn't going to do it for me because I had, you know, obviously loans to pay back. Mm-hmm. And things were kind of, you know, a little, a little tight back then as well. So uh, uh, through a contact of mine in South America, I ended up uh, interviewing, getting hired for Acme South America. And it was supposed to be a two-year deal, but it turned into a 13-year deal. So wow. while things were kind of tight as far as the job market in the States, for some reason, things in South America were quite, you know, quite good. And so I went down there from a 206 to the right seat of a 767 right away. Wow. So, you, I mean, you, you think about what that means, um, and that's why I have so much respect for those pilots who've, who've gone through flying, you know, checks in the middle of the night, flying, and, and uh, a lot of the guys and gals that I've flown with in, uh, in Alaska, I tell you, just just unbelievable stories, and it just mm-hmm. makes, me, it make, makes me realize how, how lucky I was to go from a single engine Cessna to a 767, literally in a couple of weeks. And so um, at 23, I went down there. Uh, When the uh, airline started expanding in other countries in South America, and the fact that I have dual nationality, I was sent to Ecuador. And uh, that's when I was able to make that jump across the aisle stand there and uh, become such a uh, such a young uh, such a young uh, uh, left seater there wow Fly, flying a heavy at only 27 so just people so people know you were you were born in ecuador that is correct and that so you correct. have like dual citizenship uh with uh, ecuador. Uh-huh. okay exactly a dual citizenship with ecuador in the u.s and also i mean it, it also helped that uh, that i speak both languages so I'm, I'm fluent in spanish as well so so that was a <laughs> uh, that was a big plus a, a quick aside um 
on, and we're going to talk about this uh, as we continue with uh, Rick's journey. Uh, but when we um, uh, had some meetups in Miami and I met Rick for the first time, I think you took me to that um, Peruvian restaurant or it was like just a couple blocks away from the hotel yeah. in Miami. And I, you know, I, I never, ever knew that Rick could speak, you know, uh, such fluent Spanish, but he just started all this stuff starts coming out of his mouth and I'm looking at him like, what, what do you, you sound like, you know, you, you, you speak this language all the time. And it was just amazing. And because I could not, I could not detect any kind of an accent at all in your regular American accent um, yeah. speech, English. That, it's really funny. It, it, sometimes, you know, a lot of people, it, it, it takes them by surprise, you know, and, 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 I, and I use that quite a bit as well. Because a lot of people don't know that about me, so I kind of, you know, just keep my mouth quiet. <laughs> you can you know, hear what they're saying. <laughs> kind of see what people are saying, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, kind of one of those superpowers that you wish you were invisible. <laughs> Probably sometimes you... wish that you didn't hear what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just kind of smile and nod, and then you know, a couple of days down the road, you speak to them in Spanish, and they go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> "Ooh, what did I say?" <laughs> exactly. And then you, you All just right. Keep it polite. So it's, it's, it was it was interesting. Yeah, so I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, no, 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 yeah. no, it's fine. But I tell you, I mean that was that was the that was the big uh, the big uh, thing that really pushed me over the uh, over the line there, being able to speak both languages, and uh, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, you know, every everyone knows that that uh, English is the the uh, the uh, language of aviation, but not so much in South America and other countries uh, around the world, you know, China, France, uh, mm-hmm. and Africa, and Russia. Um, but in South America, ATC is in Spanish. Hmm. So um, um, they will only speak to you in English if you speak to them in English first, but they're not you know, required to. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of the guys that I flew with back in the day, and I'm saying guys because back then, it was you know, early 2000s, right. not a lot of women in the flight decks. And uh, the, I guess uh, the culture down there is, was also more conducive towards towards uh towards male uh, male male aviators mm-hmm. uh, that's that's slowly changing uh it's, it's not, we're not up to par you know as mm-hmm. far as as far as the u.s but it's it's getting there mm-hmm. and so this older crowd is you know is very reluctant to change and so they really didn't didn't really need to learn it and so when they came to the when they flew to the states they always would fly with someone that was you know well-versed in english and all that stuff like that so that mm-hmm. that that also did help because a lot of times a lot of these uh, older, older, older captains uh, used uh, uh, young folks like me to help them out to get into the states. Because mm-hmm. I tell you, you know, you go into JFK and you don't speak English. Yeah, that... you, can, you, you can ask the Chinese. Well, I mean, it's it's an int- intimidating for those of us who do speak English flying into a big place like John F. Kennedy International. It's a uh... Because sometimes with their accents, you, even if you do speak English, you go, "What? What? What is he saying? <laughs> what are they, what are they yeah, exactly anyway. right." So, so you did that um, the the passenger operation for Acme South America for for how long before you made a change toward the uh, the freight operation? Right. So I flew the seven sixty seven until uh, two thousand and eleven. Late two thousand ten, I finished flying. I went to school late two thousand ten. Twenty eleven, I began flying the triple seven freighter. And I was bit by the freight bug, and I tell you, I never looked back. Yeah, Something I could just about, tell you. You just love oh, that lifestyle. That's, that's oh awesome. man, flying freight is you know you just you just you just you just think about it this way. Um, it's 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 being a a a banker versus being I don't know something really laid back. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's just just kind of how I can put a, it there. A, a surfer dude. 
Dev Surfer dude, exactly. You're just hanging out in the, the back dude. Of your, <laughs> hanging out in the back of your van, you know, cruising up and down the beach. Um, and it, it was great. It was great. You know, no no passengers. Um, um, you know, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. I don't, you know. Oh, I totally get it. Um, the, the type of operation, uh, is, is a lot less structured compared to a passenger operation because Mm -hmm. a lot of times these freighters, um, operate, I would say, you know, a good 40, 50% of the time, a lot of those flights are charters going to airports that, you know, oftentimes you didn't even know existed. Mm. And so you rely quite a bit on obviously operations and dispatch. But also on other pilots with more experience than you have, because I tell you, trying to land a triple seven at an airport, a uh, high altitude airport with a you know sixty-two hundred foot long runway at max landing weight in Brazil hmm. is 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 quite the uh, quite the experience, and you can't you can't slam it down too hard because your freight that what you're carrying around is horses, hmm. so. So that 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 kind of gives you a, 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 a an idea of what this operation's like. So I did I, I did that from 2011 to 2016 on the triple seven freighter. Now, when you were flying the passenger ops, um, uh, I believe you were uh, headquartered or based in Santiago. Well, yeah. So for the first uh, for the first about two years, I was based in Santiago, Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so were uh, you were you living there, or, or were oh, you just yeah. commuting from Miami? Or were you? Oh li- no, no, no. I was I was living down. Okay. There. I was living down there. I lived in Santiago for two years and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the while, you know, my family was here in Miami. I mm-hmm. was lucky that I mean, I, I tell I've been so lucky. Um, the bulk of the flights and the bidding system allowed me to fly to Miami almost constantly. So. It's like it's like I never left home. It was mm-hmm. great. Um, when I was flying out of Santiago, the route network was a bit uh, was 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 larger than it was when I when I moved to to Ecuador to fly for Line Ecuador. Okay, or yeah, uh, or you know, yeah, yeah, uh, Acme South America. Mm-hmm. Um, out of out of out of Chile, we flew you know Europe, North, Central, South America, and we did some very interesting flights, which were scheduled to uh, Easter Island and the South Pacific. Hmm. And those are really nice, and, then, wow. and that kind of that kind of operation was really interesting as well. Because, say, for example, you're you're going to Easter Island, you're going to an airport that's you know five hours and change away from land, and uh, obviously past the hour mark, as when you're flying you know away from land for more than an hour, you enter what's called uh, ETOPS, you know, mm-hmm. extended twin engine operations. And add to that the fact that it is the most remote island in the world. So once you get to a certain point. You don't have enough fuel to come back, mm-hmm. so the airport has to wait for you, and nobody can take off and land. Nobody can get near the runway in case something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't have a place to land. So it's 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 a really really interesting operation as well. So we did that quite a bit: Easter Island, South Pacific, all over South America, all, and then I got my first taste of uh, of North Atlantic operations. Uh, going from Santiago, we would go to Brazil, and then on from there across the mm-hmm. pond to uh, uh, Madrid and Frankfurt mm-hmm. on the seven sixty seven. And then when I went to when I went to Ecuador, uh, the route network um, was, was was a lot smaller. I would only fly. I only had four destinations: it was New York, Miami, Madrid, and Lima, Peru. And I, you know, eight times out of ten, I would request to fly to Miami, which I always did. So it's like I tell I me, mean, it's, it's like I never left. It was yeah. it was it was great. And so you finally did leave and, and, and ended up actually living again back in Miami when you were doing the uh, freight ops for, 
this airline, right? Yeah, the freight, freight ops was great because, as you said, exactly, Captain Jeff. I would uh, I, I lived in Miami. The hub for, for the freighter operations was Miami, and uh, basically, what would happen is the uh, the the company would bring all their freight from all their South American locations, consolidate that in Miami, and then we would take the the freighter, fill it up with 105 tons of freight, which is only 15 tons short of what the 747 can carry. Wow. So it's on, on only two engines. So, and we hmm. would go, you know, full freight over to Amsterdam and Frankfurt. We'd stop in uh, Switzerland, all sorts of places. And we would also fly a couple of charters on that thing as well. So mm-hmm. that's, I got my first taste of, uh, of, of the 777 on freight flying and starting in 2011. Okay. So uh, fast forward to, well, before you left that freight operation and mm-hmm. uh, joined the one that you're with now, Mm-hmm. At what we call Acme Giant. Um, so you were flying this triple seven freighter, and you said a colleague of yours uh, told you about this podcast. And let me see. Well, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to play the first piece of audio feedback that <laughs> was sent in from Rick. Uh, are you ready for this? All right. Here we go. Back. Hello, Captain Jeff. My name is Rick. I am a new listener. I've been listening to your podcast for about uh, three months now, and I uh, found out about it through a colleague of mine. He told me to listen to it, and uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, And this is the first time I'm leaving feedback. I've been meaning to do it for a while now. Um, A uh, little bit about myself. I am a 777 pilot. I'm based out of Miami. I work for a major international cargo outfit. And I um, apologize for the for the noise up here. It's uh, uh, We just took off from Santiago down in Chile on our way back up to Miami. We've been flying for about an hour and 20 minutes now, so it got uh, quiet enough for me to hand over the uh, controls and the radio uh, comps over to my uh, trusty colleague here. And <laughs> he's doing a great job. He's waving hi. Um, in any case, I just wanted to uh, ask you two things. Well, the first one had to do with uh, your earlier episodes. I believe it was thirty-one or thirty-two. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward. You had a couple of questions for me in that feedback. One was that you were talking right now about this L1011 video. I think it was an ANA. I remember flight that. and about the weird thing that the first officer was doing. I was going like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> no, we did not do that at Acme. I don't know what he's doing. And then the other one has, uh, he asked me a question about um, the headset I was using at the time, or I'm still using the Bose aviation headset. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to fast forward it to the point at which we talk about, um, or you suggest a, a good place to meet up in Miami. So this is a little bit further into the feedback. Oh, let's see. Right about this area. In question. In question. Well, that's it from up here. Uh, I'd like to congratulate you on an excellent job. Uh, I really, really enjoy your podcast a lot. Um, it's great to have a familiar voice in your headsets or your headphones everywhere I go. You know, on my long layovers or whenever I'm just walking around foreign cities and distant lands it's great to have a familiar voice with you and for me you are it 
Um, you're a beer lover, I know that. Uh, you've mentioned that a number of times. So am I. So when you are in Miami, I'd like to take you out to this one spot I know, which I know you're going to love. They have beers from all over the world, and they're all ice cold and delicious. So when you're down there, do not hesitate to contact me, call me up, look me up. Cool talk shop, drink some beers, and have a good time together. Um, well, that's it from up here. Um, I'd like to wish you uh, blue skies, happy landings, and may God always uh, bless your family and uh, you. Thanks again for a great job, and we will talk to you very, very soon. And that is true. Uh, that was uh, December of 2013. Wow. Can you believe it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that was episode number 97. So I wow. was kind of, I was kind of, I was doing all this research today, trying to remember when it was you first sent me an audio feedback. I remembered this feedback. I just didn't remember how long ago it was. Um, yeah. was I was the, actually thinking about that feedback the other day. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I have this, I have this, 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 this love affair with the 1011. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, you know, that's the first piece of feedback that I sent uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Jeff. And I thought I, about it not too long ago, actually. I didn't, I actually, I, I didn't remember the L 1011 part of it, um, but I did remember you saying something about, uh, a good place to to drink beer and and get together and I think was it the filling the filling station that you were talking about there? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. that place is gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is. Which I, is a I shame. tell me, I, I I come back here and you know a lot of the places are. I'm going. What the heck happened? Yeah, I know. A lot of stuff is gone now. What a shame. That yeah, we had a lot of good uh, good meals and we even did a meetup from there. I think once uh, we did, we did yeah. with a with a with a couple of people. Yeah, but one of them one of them is the reason why I ended up here. Yeah, Nick. Yeah, Nick Acosta. Yeah. So, uh, and his dad, I think, uh, was was there yeah. for that uh, meetup as well. Yeah. Exactly. So, Nick, if you're listening, hey, haven't heard from you in a while. Anyway, um, so uh, that was the uh, the beginning of hearing uh, everybody in the community learning about you and uh, Miami Rick. You weren't calling yourself Miami Rick yet at that point. You were Rick no. in Miami. Yeah, Rick in Miami. I, I, I don't know who uh, who bestowed that uh, moniker on me. Must I probably been, uh, did. That's probably you. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> it's fine. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, then, you, as I said, you sent in a bunch of um, feedback from time to time, and you you were becoming kind of a, a regular fixture here on the show uh, with your audio feedback. And, uh, and then we had several meetups there. And then finally, uh, on one of these meetups, uh, we were talking and I was mentioning that I was going to be back in town again the next uh, week and I was mm. planning on doing the show and I'd already done that one. Well, let me back up. I did episode 90 was a one off with uh, Dana in Savannah back in 23rd, October of 2013. And then um, in 2015, um, around around this time of year, actually, in 2015, almost exactly five years ago, um, I had mentioned that I was going to uh, be recording the show and asked if you wanted to do the same that I had done with um, Steph back in January of that same year. Yeah, uh, yeah. To be on the she's, show with me and be she, my cover. She's, uh, she's senior to me. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny. I don't know why it was in my mind. Uh, and she set me straight on this many, many times uh-huh. that, that I thought you were the first one. But she goes, no, nope, I was oh, the no, first no, one. No, no. I have seniority over over Rick. Anyway, um, I have a little bit of that uh, episode where you joined uh, as co-host for the first time. And let me see if I can find that uh, that page. Here we go. And hopefully I have it queued up properly. 
and the Solar Impulse 2. So, get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 158 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Airline Pilot Guy. Now, if you're watching the video, now, you know, most of you don't watch the video. But if you are, uh, you'll see somebody, some dude sitting next to me. And why don't you say hello, sir? Hello, everybody. I am Rick, the guy that's always talking your ear off with all that feedback. I'll try to keep it uh, short one this time. <laughs> no, so now we have a back and forth of, uh, of you doing your feedback. And then, see, now the advantage is I can say when you're into your feedback, you know, like four or five minutes, I can go, okay, that's enough, Rick. Shut up. Let's move on. Right. <laughs> of course, I'm certainly one to talk, right? Because I can talk for three hours or more straight. Uh, without taking a breath. So uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm in Miami, Florida, as I mentioned. Rick, this is where Rick lives. And uh, just to, so in, in case somebody's new to the mm. show, tell the listeners who you are and what you do and that kind of stuff. Well, I am a fellow airline pilot. I am originally from Miami, Florida. I fly the Boeing 777, lucky 777 driver. I've been flying that um, beautiful airplane for about three years now and before that i flew the 767 both seat positions so um i've been at it for a little while um started listening to the podcast um a while back and um just you know just love it and a great podcast great community uh, great information you know always learn a lot and just um everybody that makes a part you know everybody that's, that's a part of this podcast it just makes it what it is so it's you know just great to be here and um really really um Happy to be here alongside Captain Jeff. So. Yeah, it's great. And you know, so here's the deal. I met Rick. Um, I don't know. We've you've gone to a couple of meetups here mm -hmm. in the Miami area. Yeah. You know, I guess last year uh, yeah, in the was, fall uh, or something. It was, or? it was October of last year. Yeah. I okay. So that's when we first met, and uh, I've been here a few times since. And uh, so I think I've had a total of at least three meetups here, maybe four. Um, yeah, I know we had one uh, last week at Fort Lauderdale. You were on a trip. I was I was away flying. Yeah, but uh, yeah, wasn't no not last week. The week before that big marathon five day trip that I had. I know mm. he's thinking a five day trip that's nothing. <laughs> but uh, for me, a domestic. I, I do ten day trips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, but you know, so you fly international mostly, right? Yeah, or all mostly international. Well, it's actually it's all international. Yeah. You know, all our stuff is um, all over the place. So, it's, so we're you know, we're away usually for about you know. Yeah. Eight to ten days at a time. But I fly domestically, so a five-day trip domestically is is a long trip, at least for me. Uh, now, in the Air Force, I used to fly military transports, and we go, you know, our average trip was seven days, and yeah. we even had one that was a 16-day trip. Wow. It was a double Diego, uh, Diego Garcia, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the atoll out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Anyway, um, so why was I saying that? Oh, that was when I was here last for... You know, that's not true. Well, I go on and <laughs> babble on and on and on and on and on about. Uh, so anyway, that was, um, here, let me turn that off so it doesn't rear its ugly head again. Um, anyway, that was episode 158, which was uh, March. Uh, I think we recorded it on March 11th, 2015. And uh, so um, Rick was still flying the 777 freighter. And um, living in Miami and based in in Miami um, for the rest of that year, and then some of the following year, 2016, and then uh, as I said, right around, 
I think May or so of 2016 is one of the last times I, I didn't get the exact one, but one of the last times we saw Rick because you had a job change. I did. I did. So it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting because, um, I remember I flew my last, uh, triple seven trip from Sao Paulo, Brazil to Quito, Ecuador to Miami, Florida on April the 2nd. This was a Saturday. And on April the 4th, a Monday, I was sitting in class, uh, starting, uh, this new, uh, this new job with uh, Acme Giant, so I, uh, I I didn't miss a beat. Um, so I went from one straight to the other. It's funny because um, by the time I got checked out on the seven four, I was still curtain on the seven on the triple seven. So I, you know, for a little while there, I, I was curtain on two airplanes. I'm starting to see a thread here, except for the Cessna two hundred six gig that you had. <laughs> it seems to me like most of the airplanes you have flown have all started with the B. Uh, Boeing. Well, yeah. you, you you know you know me, yeah, <laughs> and, I th- and I think everybody else knows uh, that um, I'm I'm a little bit of a Boeing fan over here, <laughs> and we really miss that back and forth <laughs> banter between you and Airbus Nick. <laughs> and I'm being very sarcastic when I say that. Well, uh, Airbus Nick still still flies uh, something with an A, except it's not an Airbus, and we're not an armchair. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but but still, you know, we we still miss them a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, anyway. Um, uh, so you, you joined back, um, uh, about four years ago and, uh, and you, so you, you got checked out on the, uh, first officer seat of the seven, uh, four flying all over the world, um, literally. And, yeah. um, so kind of get us up to speed with, uh, what, what you're up to right now. And you're right. You're, you're in Miami right now, right? I am in Miami, you know, appropriately. So, okay. uh, Miami, Rick in Miami. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I tell you, after four years of doing this around the world stuff, um, it, it, it really does, uh, you know, take a little bit of a toll on you. Not as, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, old yet, but, you know, getting, like close to, getting, <laughs> getting close to 40, I, uh, oh. I, I, I do start to feel a little bit and that, you know, going, going around the mm-hmm. world and staying, staying up, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, 30 hours at a, staying up at 30 hours at a time really does have a, a way of getting to you. That's not even good for a young person. No, it's not. It's not. And I tell you, I mean, it's something about uh, being up there. It's when, when you, when you, when you s- set foot in one of those airplanes and you get on the, you know, you step on the jet in Hong Kong and your final destination is, I don't know, uh, Leipzig in Germany. And you have a stopover in Almaty, Kazakhstan. And uh, the flight without the stopover would be, 12 hours plus with that stopover, it gets you pretty close to your max uh, duty day. And, and and you don't feel it because you're flying. And the way we do it is we kind of break up the flight and, and uh, uh, we, you know, rest periods and flight periods and, and, and the rest periods and flight periods are short enough where a 12 hour flight doesn't really feel like a 12 hour flight. But at the end of the day, you know, you've been up for 24 plus hours. So, you know, doing that for four years straight kind of, you know, it did, did get a little old after mm-hmm. a while. And so the uh, the opportunity came up to um, not only change seats and go back to the left, but also to fly a smaller airplane, flying shorter routes in a more localized area. Uh, hopefully, if I can hold it, um, you know, domestically, which is what I'd like to do, mm-hmm. because the seven six still does still does a lot of international stuff. You know, we'll, we'll fly the Middle East, we'll do stuff in Asia, stuff like that. We won't do around the world stuff. On the seven four, uh, I was gone for. 16, 17 days, and those 17 days, I would go around the world twice sometimes. 
wow. one and a half times sometimes. Um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to you know just kind of taking it easy now, relaxing. Yeah, a little you're bit getting more. to be an old man and settle. You need to settle down. I know, you know, all this, uh, <laughs> all this, all this long haul stuff really does uh, get old quick. So I'm yeah. happy, happy to do. Well, that I'm happy now. for you. I think everybody here is happy for you to kind of, you know, do something that's not quite so fatiguing uh, for for a yeah. living. Um, but um, so uh, when do you when are you going to be finished with your upgrade training? Well, the um, started at Sims uh, not too long ago, actually. Today, actually, no, I did my second Sim today, and the way it's kind of broken up is you do uh, you do some uh, fixed base sessions. So these these simulators are are you know multi million dollar piece of equipment where it's basically the 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 flight deck of the airplane propped up on hydraulic jacks with a fantastic visual system and you can get you know rated and trained and qualified to fly the aircraft without ever setting foot on the aircraft so these things are, are just just amazing but the training itself it doesn't begin with a full flight simulator uh you you actually begin first with what's called a fixed uh, fixed space simulator which is the same sim but without the motion activated it's only the visual and and obviously the all the controls and the and the, and the yoke and the cockpit and all that stuff and really what, what you do that for is it's more to get in touch and uh, more to get familiar with what the procedures are, different flows for different seats. You know, the captain has one set of flows. The FO has one set of flows mm-hmm. on different different uh, uh, stages of flight. And so it's better to do it and actually handle the, you know, the, the, the controls and push the buttons and, and, and play with the yoke stuff to get a feel for what the airplane is. Now, I've done this before in the 7.6. So for me, it's, it's, it's really nice because it's kind of like watching a movie the second time around kind of catching those little nuances that you didn't catch first time around, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what it feels like to me. And I'm really enjoying it because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not like I'm learning something new. I'm just going back to what I, what I did, you know, albeit all these years ago, but it's, you know, it's still all, all, all in there. And I'm, and I'm very, you know, I, I, as you know, I, I love systems and I love the intricacies of, of how things work. And that's why we have the rickets over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we know you, we know. And, and, and everybody that listens to the show, well, almost everybody loves hearing, um, hearing about all these systems in, in quite a bit of detail. And that's, uh, we really miss that. And so, uh, well, well I tell you, we're, we're going to, we're going to get back to that and, yes. uh, we're going to make it, we're going to make it a, a weekly thing the way it was before. Oh man. Wow. Right. Is this like an announcement you're making, uh, live on the, on the show? We're making a live announcement. Now, you have to be a little bit flexible oh, with me here. No, with, no, with, no. With, with no, I'm, I'm completely flexible. <laughs> Not physically, but uh, scheduling-wise and everything else. And that's one of the, you know, you know this already, Rick, because when you were on the show with Steph and, and the three of us and then a little bit with Nick, um, the toughest thing for me, and well, all of us really, to get this show done every week is trying to coordinate everybody's schedules. And it's hard enough when we're all, you know, relatively in the same hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you were doing the stuff with uh, Acme Giant uh, based in Anchorage and flying over in Asia and everything else, it was like, uh, we finally said, oh, this is not work. You know, you, you basically said this. I can't. I'm I'm like always opposite to whatever you guys are doing over there. And so uh, that was c- completely understandable that uh, it was it was just got to the point was it was almost impossible to have Rick on an, any, any kind of a regular basis. So yeah. I'm glad I hope that you have enjoyed your sabbatical because we're going to put you back to work. Put <laughs> you back to work here. Yeah. Just crack the whip. Yes. But uh that's awesome. Uh so so happy to see you and uh get caught up with um with your 
with your work life. And um, I don't know how much you want to talk about any other aspects of your of your life and what you've been doing in the last uh, several years. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to stop talking now and, and let you talk some more. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, like like I was saying, it's 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 going to be good because there's so much so much stuff that we have to talk about systems wise and mm-hmm. you know operations and stuff. I was I was just uh, reading today about the the uh, um, the final report from that seven four seven crash in uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Turkey or. Oh, Kyrgyzstan. I forget exactly. Oh yeah, the one that they kind of uh, they overran and crashed into that little village on the end of the runway. Yeah, and 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 why that happened, and and uh, and it's you know the, the the fact that they captured a glide slope, but it wasn't the correct glide slope, and how yeah. that works. And so, I mean, there's there's a lot, you know. See, right then and there, we have a, a, a three hour episode. There you go. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so we're gonna so we're gonna have to keep the the rickets uh, uh, handy for that. Oh, absolutely. We never we never retired them. <laughs> but on occasion, I, I've been lately, a uh, couple of the uh, plain tales that Nick has published uh, have dealt with uh, kind of, uh, you know, detailed subjects about certain things. And I've had to use it a couple of times recently with the uh, plain tales with, with, with Nick, but uh, not quite as often as we used to do it that with is, you. That is, a, that is a very high honor. <laughs> That's, you know, if, if you're if you're wondering what we're talking about here, um, sometimes when when Rick starts talking about something and it's funny i tell people i can always tell when he, he kind of starts getting into the zone and you you instead of looking right into the camera rick you kind of look off off camera and, and i'm thinking uh-oh oh boy here we go well and, like, and, and that's because i have to visualize it I, it's yeah like, it's like, i get it's it like a, it's like a whiteboard in my mind <laughs> exactly like, you know with, with like you know the old nasa folks with the with the, with the ladders you know on the uh-huh. chalkboard so it's kind of like that that's what's going on in my head except it's a hamster <laughs> And that's, with his wheel. So, so, so I mean, at, at some point, I must have used crickets uh, <laughs> as a joke, but but it was it's really sad because we do this, you know, we record this live uh, with a live chat room, and these people in the chat room they're ruthless sometimes, and they would start going, "Jeff, play the play the crickets, play the crickets," and I go, "No, no, that's rude," you know. And then after a while, I just couldn't couldn't help myself anymore, and I start playing them, and that's why we ended up changing the name from cricket to ricket, for, in, in your honor. Uh, but anyway, uh, a lot of people say, man, man, I really miss having Rick, you know, like really delve into the, you know, the intricate details of all these different systems. I said, yeah, we all do. <laughs> so, so well, you're well, doing that right now with the, um, the fixed base trainer and going through the flows and all that kind of stuff. But as you said, you've flown, you've have a lot of hours, I would imagine already on that seven, six. So it's kind of like going back to something that you almost like riding the same bike again. Right. Yeah, so the seven six uh, north of almost almost uh, I'd say almost seven thousand hours on the seven six wow. alone. Yeah, so it's. Uh, wow, I have no idea it was that much time. How much time do you have total right now? Uh, Ten thousand five hundred. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, very quite good. A bit, quite a bit. So um, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say uh, the uh, just uh, as you said, yeah. So it's it's kind of like going back and 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 visiting with an old friend. So mm-hmm. really, really, really nothing new there. It's more it's more of um, when you go from from first officer to captain. Obviously, the uh, the flight duties are shared. Uh, responsibility, you know, is, is is with the captain, but the flight duties are shared. So you know, the captain will fly one leg, the FO will fly another. Um, and so when you when you upgrade it, it you know things are more. Uh, focused on the management of the flight, the management of time, the management of resources, the decision making, um, and uh, you know company procedures, and really you know 
keeping yourself and the aircraft and your crew and your passengers uh, out of, out of uh, um, harm's way. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's a lot less flying and a lot more studying that goes with that. Um, you know, regulations and, and company procedures. So you, you were like with, you, so you have been a captain in the past, as, as you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier in your earlier story. But mm-hmm. it's been a it's been a while since uh, you've had a command position. So well, almost ten years. Yeah. So um, you know, there are a lot of responsibilities and a lot of other you know a lot of things that you don't necessarily think about when you're not uh, in command. So um, how, how's that feeling? Like uh, again, like riding uh, an, an old bike. Well, it is, and and it, uh, it some you know some very wise words come to mind. Uh, um, first, the first captain that checked me out as as uh, for my first command always told me to you know always think as a lawyer and anticipate those kinds of those kinds of issues. Yeah, um, that's sad though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But you think about it. You think about it. You know, you you something happens, and you wish you had those last thirty seconds back so you could make the the, the decision that you knew you should have made. Yeah. You know, so it just kind of it, it makes you it makes you uh, very conservative in your decision making process, mm-hmm. which I think is the way it should be. Oh yeah, and I it's do. Because the, the older I get, the more conservative I get, and mm-hmm. I look back at some of the things I used to do when I was a student pilot and a private pilot, and I go, "Oh my goodness gracious, how?" You know, looking back, uh, looking back then. Yeah. If, 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 if I knew, if I knew then, what I know now, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, when I think back uh, when I was when I was in my early twenties, is like I thought I knew everything there was to know about the world and myself and other people. No, <laughs> hardly knew a thing. Yeah, exactly right. And it's and it's and it's only when you have a little bit of knowledge that you really realize how little you know. Yeah, and that is what that is what drives you. Yep. to become really a, a, a attempt to become a master at your craft because you never really get to that mastery level. You you learn to the day you retire. Yeah, but the the best pilots out there are the ones that are constantly trying to improve the way we perform our craft. Exactly right, and and actually yeah. consider it a craft. I mean, you, I'm sure you probably fly with oh man pilots you, that you, don't think of this as a craft at all. It's just a job to them. No, yeah, it's 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 a boat payment and a, and a house payment, mm-hmm. and a, you know, and it's and it and it shows. It really shows, and it's sad. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not judging. You know, people have right. different. Sure. Different motives for doing things, but uh, let, let it, me do it, the judging. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will be the jury. No blindfold over here. <laughs> so, um, I, I think I interrupted you when you were saying how long uh, it was going to be before you're completely checked out and flying the line again. So, yeah. So, as, as I was saying, the, the 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 program is kind of broken up in, in in parts. The first part was the systems and ground school stuff that culminated with the uh, with the oral exam um, and. Uh, it's kind of an interview with a with a line check airman or a designated examiner, um, and after that uh, after that portion is done, you go through the through the flight simulator, fixed base and full flight simulator, and that culminates with a check ride, um, and that is supposed to happen uh, at the end of this month, and then after you're done with that um, with that um, uh, simulator training and check ride, you go through what's called um, uh, IOE initial operating experience. And a lot of people ask me, well, how, uh, why, why do you have to go through all this training again if you're already typed on the 767? And the reason behind that is that I hold uh, three airline transfer pilot licenses, one for Ecuador, one for Chile, and one for the United States. And my 767 type rating, both SIC and PAC, were on my Chilean license. Ah. 
and not in my American license. Uh, and so uh, you can't transfer type ratings from license to license, you know, from, from a foreign country to the United States. And so I had to go through the training again, oh. which, which, yeah, which, which I, I don't mind. Yeah. Like I said. So at the end of, at the end of uh, initial operating training, uh, initial operating experience, uh, I'll be checked out as a captain again on the 767 uh, with certain restrictions. There'll be uh, certain things I can't do. Uh, one of them will be a um, uh, low low visibility operations, low visibility approaches um, until I get past uh, 100 hours on the aircraft, and they'll be you know completely released to the line, and there'll be no problem there. So I'm hoping that by the time uh, May, early June comes around, I'll be uh, I'll be all done, ready to go. Okay, great. That's fantastic. Um, if you're just joining us on the, um, on the show, um, when we're doing this live on Thursday evening, the 5th of March, 2020, um, we are doing a, a special show, uh, not our normal thing. Uh, on occasion, we'll do something like this, uh, for special occasions and special people like, uh, Miami Rick. And, uh, so we, uh, he's, uh, back in the saddle again, and we're uh, so happy that he is going to rejoin the uh, APG crew, and um, and I'm sure that it's probably going to take months and many many shows to kind of completely catch up with everything that has been going on with him uh, these last four years. And uh, uh, let's see, what else did I want to say? Um, hmm. Producer director, do you have anything that uh, any particular direction? See, I told you. See, Rick can see what I'm seeing. Uh, we see Liz. Yeah, her little video thumbnail there, and she's like giving signs and typing as messages and stuff like that in the background. And um, so I'm I'm looking for direction from our producer director. Let's see, just over 15 minutes left to the one hour mark. Well, you know, um, I guess we could if you wanted to. Uh, there were a couple of items in the in the news that uh, we could we could cover. Unless you want to talk about anything else, Rick. I, I mean, I. I I'm I'm game for whatever you okay. want to do. I don't want to uh, don't worry it's not we're not going to do the 3 hour show thing because I I got to get up early in the morning and I'm sure you probably do too. <laughs> um so I'm going to uh and I pro- we probably didn't give you a link to our show notes. Uh so that was my my no, bad. It's quite all right. Okay. Um let's see. I'm looking in our news folder here and uh they have um they've released the no, I'm not going to talk about that one. Well, uh, this is a more fun one to talk about. Um, the uh, This was um, the second item in our news folder. It was an incident that occurred in uh, Fort Lauderdale on February 26th, uh, late in the evening, or yeah, sometime in the evening. I'm not sure exactly when. Uh, a Spirit Airlines uh, Airbus uh, A320neo, uh, the new engine option, uh, it was only 3.4 years old. Uh, they were coming to park at the gate at Fort Lauderdale International Airport, and the um, I guess somebody left. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of detail here, but somebody left the air conditioning uh, hose out, and the uh, I guess it would be a normal thing for the left engine to continue to be running as they approach the gate, and the left engine sucked up the uh, air conditioning uh, hose, uh, as well as all of all the hardware that comes with that to, you know, plug it into the airport or the airplane. And it basically destroyed this relatively new engine, a very, very expensive engine. Just sad to see things like that. Ouch. Now yeah. I wonder, I wonder if, um, 
So I mean, obviously, you never flew an Airbus. Mm-mm. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> Boy. And um, so I, I, I wonder, I wonder what uh, what uh, what hydraulic system their brakes is, uh, system is on. Because I, well, I know that I know that on. And I've I've, I've heard this, you know, writing writing on Airbuses where they obviously everyone does that single engine taxi procedure where you shut an engine down mm-hmm. to save fuel and noise and all that other jazz. And on Airbuses, if you if you pay very close attention, sometimes not so much close attention, you'll 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 hear in the cabin towards you know towards the middle part of the airplane. What sounds like a barking chihuahua? Those poor, those poor dogs down there. I know, are suffering you know, or something. Exactly. So what they're doing <laughs> is they're shoving chihuahuas into the into the <laughs> furnace to keep the engine going. No, that's not what they're doing. <laughs> what they're doing is so these Airbuses have what's called a power transfer unit, a PTU, right? So what what that's trying to do is it's it's trying to equalize the pressure from the from 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 the uh, uh, opposing hydraulic system because you, you shut an engine down, usually hydraulic pumps work off of the operating engine. So once you shut that down. The system notices that one then one one side's got low pressure, so the other side has to make up for that through that power transfer unit. So that's what you hear. Um, so I wonder if the Airbuses run their brakes off of the. I think they use colors because they're very mm-hmm. colorful over there. Yeah, yes, I think it's green, yellow, and blue. Mm-hmm. I wonder what system they use for that, and I, I wonder if because on the seven sixty seven uh, and every Boeing I've ever flown, the the, the brakes were always on the on the on the right hydraulic system, so the right mm-hmm. engine is the one that you would keep running. And on the seven forty seven, the brakes were on the number four hydraulic system, was way the heck up there, and you know, uh, I block down the I block down your right wing. So uh, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's, it's just it certainly sounds expensive. I tell yeah. You, how, do you, how do you explain that one to the chief pilot? Very, very expensive. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did see that, and it, uh, and and I tell you, those Neos, uh, those engines are so so pretty. You see the they big are fan, the big fans, big and, uh, geared and, and fans. The, and, yeah, the geared fans and the and and the and the variable variable camber uh, uh, fan blades. They look like uh, the G nineties that the triple seven freighter used to mm-hmm. have. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, it's a sad thing. Nice engines. Well, uh, heading over to uh, Istanbul. Uh, there was a, a Turkish Airways A321, uh, and I'm not sure exactly how, how old this one is, but I can't imagine that it would be too old because the 321, that's a 321-200. Uh, anyway, they were performing Flight 1598 from Frankfurt, uh, Germany to Istanbul. Uh, let's see, they landed on Istanbul's runway 16 right uh, at 1226 local time, so the middle of the day. Uh, but dropped both nose wheels. The aircraft came to a stop on the runway on the stump of the nose gear strut and the main wheels. The aircraft was disabled. This is from the Aviation Herald. Um, Very matter-of-fact kind of details in uh, Simon's um, synopsis or synopses of uh, incidents and accidents and such. And there are some pictures here, which I'm sorry, Rick, you can't see. But um, basically, uh, let me... I think what it could be a very important factor in this accident or incident is the weather. Uh, the winds, particularly, were uh, two to zero degrees, uh, 30 gusting to 40 knots, uh, and also right around the same time, 210, 34 gusting to 44 knots. So, mm-hmm. in my estimation, about a 50 to 60 degree um, angle off of the runway. Um, gusting to 44 knots. I have a feeling that that strong gusty crosswind may have had something to do with what happened here on this landing. And I have a feeling they probably just lowered the nose wheel to the runway much more at a higher rate than they probably should have and higher G load. 
Yeah, I think I think actually I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the uh, the uh, report here. Well, the uh, the page on the App Herald, and mm-hmm. uh, well, there's your problem. You know, mm-hmm. no, no tires on the uh, no tires <laughs> on the on the front gear there. Makes, no, but, I mean, <laughs> makes it tough to taxi a lot of power. You're going to need a lot of power, you know, <laughs> and and someone with some seeds behind you to kind of you know plant something as you're you know tilling the ground there. Um, <laughs> but no, but no, no. no seriously talking here uh yeah you, you're talking about uh, what was it 220 and the the runway was uh one six right one six. So, yeah. yeah so about 60 degrees you look at uh, 30 to 40 to, uh, 40 knots so that's what about uh i'd say about more than more than more than 50 percent of that uh, of that wing velocity mm-hmm. is hitting yeah so you're looking at about uh 15 to 25 knots uh, across the component with that gust factor there so yeah um i tell you uh, it, it gets gusty. You have to, uh, you have to be careful. Uh, and oftentimes it's not really the mains that can, that can, you know, landing the mains that can bite you. Uh, it's, it's, it's derotating and putting the nose down softly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, if you let it get away from you, that, uh, that, that could, that could be, that could be something that could happen to you here. Now, I don't, as, as I said, I've never flown an Airbus. I know that, uh, that Airbus is once you get to 50, uh, 50 feet radio altitude, which is the, this is between the airplane and the ground. Uh, the, the the flight control system of, of Airbuses go from their normal, you know, normal law fly by wire, where you are your your inputs to the to the uh, side stick there are uh, passed to the control surfaces via a computer. Mm-hmm. At fifty feet, you go to what's called direct law. So there's no more filtering of your inputs through um, your, uh, your 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 flight control computers. It just goes basically not not directly, but but uh, but it's unfiltered input, so I wonder if that has something to do with uh, with how uh, how how heavy that landing or that derotation must have been. Because often, I mean, I tell you, every airliner that I've flown, and probably Captain Jeff can attest to this, when you bring the nose of the airplane down, you never introduce a nose down uh, input to the controls ever, not ever. No. So what you do is you just you know you 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 you, you land the mains and you basically hold the nose and gently place it on the runway. But then again, this wind, this gusty wind here, might have might have had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I, I tell you, it looks like it, I mean, it'll it'll fly again. I'm sure they're just going to go through some kind of inspection. They're going to have to, and and if and if you look at the pictures here, uh, they'll probably just disconnect the piston from the cylinder there. You mm-hmm. know, put a new one in, new mm-hmm. set of tires, little you know stress uh, test for the uh, four fuselage. You'll be good to go. Good to go. All right. Well, you know what. Uh, I'm going to save the uh, rest of these news items for the show that we're going to do on Saturday morning. And uh, so, uh, and I was looking through the feedback to see if there was anything in particular that looked like would be um, something that we could discuss. But, you know, I think we're going to go ahead and just um, wrap it up here shortly and make it a, a, an uncommonly short uh, airline pilot guy episode, which, um, people are going to be shocked about. I think when they see it's only <laughs> around an hour long, they're probably going to think that some, Jeff must have had a stroke or a heart attack, uh, in the middle of the show. But, um, anyway, uh, getting back to, um, uh, Miami Rick and, uh, rejoining the crew for, uh, the show is just such an exciting thing. I know I can, uh, I can probably speak for everybody that, um, we're really looking forward to having you back on and uh, hearing your your perspective uh, when it comes to uh, these things, and um, anything else you'd like to say before we we uh, wrap it up? 
No, I just uh, thank you so much, uh, Captain Jeff, for uh, for having me back. Mm-hmm. I'm excited of uh, what lies ahead here, and uh, I will uh, I will bring the uh, all, all the technical mumbo jumbo back, which is uh, something that I know a lot of people uh, a lot of people like. Ian Allen there is asking, uh, does your operator have a nickname for the 767? We used to call it the Cougar. Once it got once it got its winglets. No, but I can uh, I can start calling it the Cougar if you'd like. Oh, cougar. I thought you said a different word. <laughs> cougar, yeah. <laughs> Cooter, what? <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> no, Ian, that's, uh, we'll, we'll start calling it the cougar. Oh, well, you know what? Well, that's a good idea, Rick. Uh, let's look for some of our uh, yeah. uh, chat room uh, folks and if they have any questions. Looks like Rebecca, she said she has a burning question. And Rebecca, you should probably go to the doctor to check that out. <laughs> um, I'm studying airport codes in Central America and the Caribbean. Uh, and why are there so many airports in the Dominican Republic? Uh, because uh, I've, I have no idea. Maybe a lot either. of people, a, a, a lot of people need to, a lot of places to go to. I mean, I've been to the Dominican Republic, a beautiful, beautiful country. But it's interesting because it's, it's a tiny country and the DR shares the island with Haiti. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't know why they would have so many airports, but hmm. the ones that I've been to, uh, we actually used to have a flight that was, uh, it was Santiago, Miami, uh, the layover was in Miami and they would fly Miami, Santo Domingo, Santiago. And that airport there reminded me a lot of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, Tahiti in the South Pacific because the terminal, it has, um, the, the roofs of the, of the terminal itself. It's, it's not shingles. It's just palm trees, you know, just palms. Mm-hmm. Kind of bunched, uh, bunched next to each other it gives a very Caribbean tropical feel to it. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, but to answer, answer Rebecca's question, I have no idea. Yeah, I I didn't know that they had yeah. a whole bunch. Probably not too many big airports like international, um, you know, long runway kind of things that would support the kind of airliners that uh, Rick and I fly. But I don't know. I could be wrong about that. I've never. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever flown to the DR actually. Yeah, that's a it's a fun place. Yeah. You go in there a lot of times uh, on on the departure. You would take off, and then you would do a, a low pass around the island to kind of give passengers a nice view, and then you jet off and go. So nice, nice place. Yeah. Um, Ian says, uh, "Ian, I don't. I guess he's a um, three an Airbus, some kind of an Airbus pilot. I guess, okay. or he knows a lot about it. Green for normal brakes, yellow for alternate brakes, and there is a yellow electric pump which." Uh, we use for a single engine taxi. So it appears that he's a pilot on, uh, there you go on that. Um, so there you go. There's the, the color scheme and all that jazz. Um, let's see. Looks like Steph is still making her way, uh, from, uh, New York to <laughs> Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, she said she, they flew over DC and, uh, she could see the Washington monument and the Capitol building. That's cool. Very nice. Any other uh, questions in there that you see that might be interesting to come on yeah. now? You're, 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 it's your chance, folks, to get some any, questions in. Jennifer says, any favorite 747 stories? Um, well, I tell you, every time you flew that Dreamlifter to any place, it was um, it was like it was like a celebrity was coming into town. Um, How many times of- did you get to uh, fly that? Oh man, I, I lost count. Really, a lot, a lot of times. So, because I mean, it, so it, the 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 Dreamlifter flying was uh, mainly out of the Charleston base, the uh, Seattle base, Payne base, and uh, the New York base. Um, towards the end of my of my um, 
of my flying there in the 747. I was based out of New York for a little while. And so I, I, that's where I picked up a lot of my, uh, Dreamlifter flying. Oh. Um, and, um, it was, it was interesting because, uh, uh, flying in and out of Nagoya in Japan, just, just South of Tokyo there, every time you came in or every time you left, you could see, you know, tons of people on the side of the runway and up in the terminal buildings and, and you know, just, just with pictures and waiting you know, with cameras and waving. And it's not like this airplane never flew in there because it, it basically lives in Nagoya because a lot of the, you know, major components for the 787 are built there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and coming into, uh, coming into Painfield, uh, the, the future of flight museum is right there on the field, uh, right next to Dreamlifter operations. So every time you came in and landed, uh, there was always a crowd. Every time you came in and, and taxied in was always a crowd. In fact, um, uh, Jen Schuld, uh, one of my, um, uh, followers on Twitter, she, she, you know, she's more and more than once took fantastic videos and pictures of, 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 you know, of, of my landings and my takeoffs and taxiing around and stuff. And, uh, so I guess the dream lifter was just the fact that there's just four of them in the world. The fact that it's such a, you know, a, a particularly interesting looking airplane <laughs> and the fact that it, yeah, it's, 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 it's ugly in a, in, in an interesting way. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact that it's so, it's so iconically recognizable, you know, it just, just makes it just, just anywhere in the world you go. Uh, it's, it, 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 it turns heads even, even in, in, um, it just cruising around. I remember many times going from Seattle down to Charleston or even, you know, across North Atlantic or the South or the, or the Pacific you'd 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 cross paths with another airplane and you would hear that airplane either on common frequency you know, 12345 or 1215 the uh, merge frequency or asking uh, uh ATC who that what that airplane was because they'd never seen it before mm-hmm. and uh to get to see a dream lifter in flight is kind of like you know winning the lottery because it's only four in the world like seeing a unicorn i've never seen one in flight i've seen a bunch <laughs> yeah. of them on the ground at charleston yeah because uh, it's not far from the terminal that we fly mm-hmm. into there yeah uh, yep yep but uh yeah so that that'd be my 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 interesting 747 so i mean and i've got so many though i'm just gonna have to come back oh yeah you know, don't, don't tell them all right yeah exactly yeah yeah don't 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 <laughs> don't get burned out in one night right uh, Alex asks, uh, does your 767 have the new left-right PFD and nav displays or the original over-under fit? Uh, we, so for now, we have the original over-under, uh, the, 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 the cathode ray tube, small, you know, uh, ADI and small HSI. Uh, but uh, later in the year, as the seat checks become uh as sea checks come due sea check is a, a a heavy maintenance check that every airplane has to go to uh through every uh, at specific periods you know every every number of years there so they basically take the airplane apart and then they put it back together so you're going to use that sea check to retrofit the uh what's called the lds it's a large display system um which are these you know 787 style uh uh, uh instrumentation cockpit which can be great um but it's going to be interesting because it's 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 good for situational awareness, but there's only so much you can do as far as the uh, the interface between the auto, automatic flight director system, flight management computer, and the pilot goes because it is an older technology airplane. So it's kind of like think of it as as buying a brand new you know twenty four inch flat LCD screen for a, an old. Uh, Tandy 386 computer, kind of. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're really nice yeah. screen, but uh, yeah, yeah, not much powering it. <laughs> not much. Exactly right. But it looks nice, and, and yeah. it, it, it does help. It does help with with uh, with your with your situational awareness and, and operating yeah. the airplane more more efficiently and safely. So. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. All right. Well, Alex, I hope that answers your question. I, I, I think it did. Um, let's see. Anything else? Looks like Steph's in turbulence now. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell, tell the, uh, she's, uh, she's not, well, she's not on the, on the seven four anymore. Cause she, I, I, no. I saw a post, uh, that she was on the seven four. So she's got to be on an Airbus now. So yeah, tell her to hold on for dear life there. <laughs> okay. Well, she's probably hearing you say it, um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe not. I, I don't know if she can actually see this. Probably. She probably can't see the stream from the airplane. She can only see the, uh, chat. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Deanna says the dream lifter is cool. I'd love to see it in person. Does it really fly nothing but 787 parts? Yeah, well, for now, for now, it, it flies nothing but seven eight seven parts. And the interesting thing about this is that since it since it only flies airplane parts, it's it's got something like sixty five thousand cubic feet of storage in the back there, right? Wow. And it's so big that the way to get parts in and out is by actually hinging the the, the tail off the aircraft and loading the parts um, from behind. And uh, the cargo area of that plane is so large that it's not pressurized so um and it doesn't have to be because we don't carry livestock obviously we don't carry passengers or anything that needs uh, to to breathe or, or or to stay at a certain temperature uh, during the trip and so uh only the only the cockpit and the lower portion of the of the aircraft is is uh is uh, pressurized. Um, oh, so, so it that, gets really cold back in that compartment. Uh, oh, that. absolutely, it gets really cold. Well, hmm. Every you know, every thousand feet you lose three degrees centigrade. So you know, you get to thirty-five thousand feet, you're talking, you know, get to the tropopause and the, the temperature mm-hmm. stabilizes. But you're talking about you know minus fifty, minus sixty degrees sometimes. And when you go, you know, the northern latitudes during the winter time, it gets it gets it can get a lot colder than that. So that yeah. even sounds colder than it gets uh, in Toronto where Liz lives. Oh man. That, that, <laughs> slightly a little bit yeah almost a little bit um it's, it's, it's still t-shirt right. weather though for, for, for our canadian <laughs> friends yeah probably is <laughs> uh let's see uh aaron says he saw the super guppy um do a flyby at pain a few years back i think the dream dream lifter is better looking yeah i think you're right i think the dream lifter is better looking than the, the super guppy that thing's an odd looking thing oh absolutely it is but I tell that you, balo- go ahead no, no, I was going to say the Super Guppy's got something on the Dreamlift, and the Super Guppy carried parts for the Apollo program, and the Ooh. Dreamlift hadn't been around this long, so. Yeah. So, you know. But still, I mean, I tell you, and uh, a lot of people ask, well, does it fly differently? Actually, not really. It flies very much like a 400, like a like a you know, run-of-the-mill Dash 400 airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hell of a lot noisier because of the, the aerodynamics. Um, and it's a little squirrely on the, on the crosswind landings because of the, the large, you know, area that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that crosswind, uh, has, has an effect on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, uh, it flies exactly the same, a little bit slower. And by slower, I mean, a cruise speed of Mach decimal eight five. Wow. Oh, sorry. Mach decimal eight two versus Mach decimal eight five, eight six, which is See, eight two is still faster than most of the jets mm-hmm. out there flying right now exactly right yeah i think the uh the uh airbus their new beluga 330 which has a, a larger uh, capacity by volume now that it came out 
uh, it st- still only flies on the high, you know, the, the high sixties, high point six uh, or, or low point sevens um, as far as cruise speed is concerned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, seven four is a seven four, no matter how ugly it is. So you, you mentioned that it's a little bit squirrelier in crosswinds. Do, do the limitations mm-hmm. uh, change at all? Uh, crosswind limitations? Or? No, that's, that's the thing. It's, huh. uh, it's uh, crosswinds is exactly the same. Demonstrated is thirty eight, and as we know, those those crosswind uh, those crosswind guidelines we really aren't aren't limitations. You know, they're just they're just well, they are for some airlines. At, at our airline, they are. Well, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm talking about certif- uh, certifying an aircraft. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh-huh. manufacturers uh-huh. don't require mm-hmm. us to use them as limitations. Exactly, exactly. So right. uh, it just it just so happened that the day that they tested the the the, the 747, the Dash 400, the highest gust of wind they could get was 38 knots. So that's what they demonstrated it at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but as as you say, that is correct. You know, airlines do have uh, cross limitations, but that's yeah. The, so it is a little bit squirrely because of that large surface area. Of yeah, there. Cool. Um, yeah. What are the chances of uh, the, the the tail section opening up uh, without you wanting it to? <laughs> Hopefully none. Yeah, it would not be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 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 like <laughs> no, it's it, it is unbelievable. This thing, it's it's got. Um, I've I've got so many pictures of it on on that on on my feet there, and uh, I forget how many locks. I think I think it's sixteen locks that go all the way around. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And um, they so the tail rests on a on a custom built I guess flatbed trailer that is positioned under the tail section. Oh, and then a jack goes up to a uh, to a jack point attachment point hydraulically. And uh, before the tail is unlocked, obviously the jack has to be in place, the truck has to be in place, um, and then the, the the all the locks are unlocked, and then this truck actually drives the tail open. Oh, uh huh. Had no idea. And uh, yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing about that is that uh, that is one of the things that really defines where this Dreamlifter can go, because this thing can only be serviced and used in places that have the 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 ground equipment to 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 service it and i'm not only talk, talking about the trucks i'm talking about all the support equipment so say for example an, an interesting thing this this dream lifter doesn't have an auxiliary power unit it doesn't have the apu which usually sits in the tail cone of the aircraft and an auxiliary power unit basically is a little well, in the case of a 747, nothing is little. It's this, you know, this, this engine in the in the tail of the airplane that is there to provide uh, electricity and pneumatic power for when the engines, the, the the actual main engines of the aircraft are off. Because the only way to produce power is by a, an electrical generator, and by and to produce a pneumatic power is by using this this either an engine or or this auxiliary power unit. So. The the LCF the large cargo freighter doesn't have an APU, so it has a specific um, customized ground power unit to aid it in engine start because we can't use we can't use APU because we don't have one. So the engine start procedure is interesting, where you actually have to start an engine on the blocks and you start them one by one as opposed to starting them in pairs as a, as you do in a normal seven forty seven. Oh. And then once you get one engine started, you actually have to do what's called the cross bleed start, where you use the bleed air from the engine that's running to turn the other engine. And then you use that to turn the other engine. So it's it's an interesting oh. operation where you can only fly that airplane to airports that have the equipment that uh, that's able to, you know, to, to support that operation. And, and you don't have that anywhere except for those particular. So that's, a, that's you know, trying to 
if you if you ever had to divert to an airport that was not on the Dreamlifter, I guess roster, it'd be it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know? it might be might be there for a, a day or two waiting for the ground support equipment to get there right yeah not only that but you'd become very very famous as we saw once oh yeah i didn't want to mention that but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well i did so what what exactly uh were you thinking uh when you were flying into uh wichita no i'm just kidding I, that was that happened before rick <laughs> i was i was i was thinking i'm gonna be famous tonight <laughs> must not have had a really really good feeling in your they must not have had a good feeling in their stomachs. No, no, no. This guy's this guy's now since retired, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but, uh, you can't you can't uh, you can't walk away from that. Yeah. Well, it's not the first time that an airplane has landed at the wrong airport, and it will not sadly be the last. It won't. I just hope it won't be me <laughs> <laughs> or me. It's not yeah, me. or any of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up, uh, Rick, so you can get some uh, sleep and do some more studying and uh, I can get a little bit of sleep before my day tomorrow. And uh, so if you're um, just listening um, to the show for the first time and you want to figure out what this whole Airline Pilot Guy show is all about, we do have a wonderful website, AirlinePilotGuy.com where you can find out information about the crew and you can find out information about our wonderful community, which is really the strength of this, uh, of the show is the community that surrounds it. Um, we have, uh, merchandise and we have, uh, ways to support the show financially, uh, via the coffee fund. Uh, we, um, let's see so much more. Plain tales has a separate page there. Uh, Nick's wonderful plain tales that we do on our normal episodes. And, um, a way that you can send feedback to us. And basically the easiest thing to do is just send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. If you want to use your voice recorder app on your phone, like Rick did um, back in December of 2013, when he sent in his first audio feedback, uh, you can use that and then attach it to your email and send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. You can also use this thing called SpeakPipe which is another way to record audio because we love hearing your voices on the show and hearing your surroundings and everything else just makes things more interesting than listening to us read your feedback. Uh, we're also on social media. I mean, you know, we have to be right because this is new media, what we're doing here. Uh, and uh, we're on Twitter AP, at APG crew. And uh, there you'll find pinned to the uh, APG crew, Twitter ID, the other IDs of the crew. And uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we still have uh, yours there Rick, but if not, we'll make sure that uh, we get that updated, and I'll ask you here in a well right now. What is your uh, Twitter ID so people can? You have uh, I don't know, probably millions of followers on on Twitter. So not, uh, not, not quite millions, but we're we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Twitter, what's your ID? I'm at uh, at Miami underscore Rick at Miami underscore Rick at Miami underscore Rick on Twitter. Um, on Facebook, uh, you're probably I don't know. Are you on Facebook? No, not really. Not really. Okay. Social media. So my my yeah, my uh, the bulk of what I do is related is on on Twitter. There's some really good right. stuff on there. Well, on Facebook, we're we have a Facebook page. It's Airline Pilot Guy. Big surprise. Yeah. So facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy, and uh, we're um, also on Slack and. I'm going to let uh, Hillel tell you about that right now. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. And until next time, wishing all of you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Bye bye, everybody. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy